You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. We call it slicking the bean, choking the chicken, giving yourself a hand, auditioning finger puppets. There's a million and one names for the old five-finger shuffle, and yet hundreds of millions of people are unable to sauce the taco due to disability, aging, or illness. That's where we come in, if you'll pardon the phrase. At Bumpin', we've created the world's first accessible sex toy, so people with limited mobility, hand issues, and disabilities can celebrate Palm Sunday just like everyone else. If you agree that everyone deserves sexual pleasure, help us spread the self-love and fund an orgasm for those in need. Give the gift of the big O at getbumpin.com. That's G-E-T-B-U-M-P-N dot com. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your delectable disabled daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get today started, shall we? First things first, I want to thank you for supporting me as I move the show's main air date from Saturdays to our new air date of Sundays. It gives me an extra day to edit the show and put the show together and make sure that I've done my homework to give you a quality episode. I was finding that if I did it on Saturdays, I didn't have enough time to focus properly on the episodes and put together a good intro. So I appreciate you allowing me the space and the freedom and the time to do that by moving over the episode to Sundays, which means that if you're a patron of the show at Patreon dot com slash disability after dark and you support us you'll get the show completely ad free one day early with this sexy probably more awkward shout out for me on the air so if you want to hear me shout out you on the air with a weird pun or or like a little flirty flirt i would love to do that if you support the show on patreon if you're able to and if you're not able to do that please leave us a review wherever it is you got your podcasts because leaving a review 
on a show like this about disability, I find that as a disabled creator, we have to work extra hard to get our stuff out there and to be noticed. So you leaving a review of the show, a five-star review, preferably, but if you feel there's room for improvement, leave other stars. But if you want to leave a review wherever you podcast, it helps people hear about the show and get a show like this in the ear holes of great people. So consider leaving us a review where you can. Remember also, of course, that I would love to hear the kind of episodes you want to hear about. Tell me the things you want me to talk about on the show. So if you want to hear a specific type of episode, I would love to do that for you, whether that be me solo or maybe with a guest. Or if you want to be a guest, you can definitely be a part. Please consider emailing us at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and letting us know what kind of episodes you want to do or you want to hear on the program. And I would love to indulge you a little bit and and support things that you want to hear around disability and disability stories that you want to have access to. But now, let's get to the show today. Back in June, I had the privilege of sitting down with my friend, Dr. Allison Mitch, who is a wellness coach and has a lot of different hats that she wears. Let me actually tell you all about all the hats she wears because there are quite several. She is a PT since 2012, a sexuality educator and counselor, and a personal trainer, as well as a functional movement specialist, yoga instructor, Reiki master, ordained minister, shamanic practice practitioner, a woman slash non-binary circle facilitator, and death cafe facilitator. So she has a lot of different hats that she wears through her business, Ignite Wellbeing, and she reached out to me back, back, really she reached out back in August 2021, and then we finally got to record in June of 22, um, and so we talked about her experience with the multiple disabilities, including Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, we also talk about how to make the wellness space more accessible and less ableist, we also talk about death cafes, because I think we should talk more about um, death and disability. So we talk about that a little bit as well. Uh, we talk about so many different things here, but it was really, really cool to traverse discussions of disability with her and have a chat with her and just really sit down with somebody. And what I love about this show is that I can sit down with somebody and just talk about so many different facets of disability and their experience. And that's really what we did here. We kind of go all over the map, but I love it. I love it so much. Um, we taught, what else do we talk about in this episode? Just so many different things. Uh, and I just, I'm really excited for you to hear the interview with Dr. Allison Mitch because they have a lot of things to say around disability and I liked holding space for them today. And so we had a cozy chat and I, I hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, and enough of my rambling, here's my latest episode with Dr. Allison Mitch, right here on Disability After Dark. Allison Mitch, hi! Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to finally have you. You and I, we recorded once last year. And then we kept trying to do it and disability kept getting in the way for both of us and the world kept getting in the way for both of us. And so finally, after I don't know how many reschedules, we're sitting down here to do it finally again. Um, And I'm so happy to have you on the show. Finally, uh, I can't remember how we connected, but, or how we like, I know you said you followed me, but I don't know how we like, how we got on to doing the show, but here we are. Yay. (laughs) <laughs> definitely yay and we got on to doing the show because I am a huge fan of your work and I'm a big follower and love the advocacy and so um, I just wanted to help promote your message through my own folks and so I figured I would do that by being on your podcast too so I, it's just I, you. I love it I'm so glad you're here I'm so glad we're doing it finally like audience I cancel all the time because disability pops up we've been literally planning this redo 
we're recording now in like June of 2022. We've been we've been planning this redo since since literally August of 2021. So yeah. here we are. <laughs> I mean, sometimes disability takes you out, and I'm so glad that like we're here to do this. Um, and you know, if you're a listener and you're wondering why some of my episodes are from last week and some of my episodes are from like a year and a half ago, it's because disability happened, and that's what it is. Right. Um, but but enough about my weird scheduling issues. Let's let's talk about you. Can you introduce yourself, Allison, a little bit to the audience? Tell us who you are, what you do. Sure. Um, so my name is Allison or Allison Mitch. I use she, they pronouns, and I am the owner of Ignite Wellbeing, which is located in Naperville, Illinois, um, about 30 miles west of Chicago. And I'm a physical therapist by training, and I'm a sexuality educator and counselor. I'm also a yoga instructor, Reiki master, shamanic practitioner, and a death cafe facilitator. So I wear a lot of different hats. Um, I am a queer identified individual, and um, I do have invisible disabilities and chronic disease. And um, I should do a little bit of a land acknowledgement, too, just to honor the original stewards of this land that I'm on. So uh, Naperville, Illinois, was um, and is occupied by individuals identify as Potawatomi, Peoria, Miami, and Sioux, among other indigenous tribes. Thank you for that. I, uh, we, we all too often forget land acknowledgments and how important they are and how we're all kind of like trespassers on, on whatever land we live on. We so many of us are that and so thank you for the reminder and I'm glad it's in the show because I would have totally forgotten until you brought it up so I appreciate that thank you <laughs> sure thanks for letting me um so you mentioned a whole bunch of things there you wear a bunch of hats we're gonna get into a bunch of all that in just a minute but the first question I like to ask every guest when we start is can you share with us what your disabilities are and how they impact your day-to-day life Sure. So um, I have, uh, I'm newly diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And that was diagnosed. Oh, welcome with, to the yeah. Disability Club of New Diagnoses. Hey, what up? <laughs> yeah, so that was diagnosed in um, April of 2021. And um, I have dysautonomia, POTS, I have celiac disease, which was diagnosed in 2005, and I am currently looking into um, if I have MCAS, MCAS. So um, all of those essentially cause things like fatigue, uh, chronic pain, in particular in my hips. Um, I will present as if I have ADHD because of the dysautonomia and POTS. So I'm pretty distractible and I have word loss and, and things like that. And I, I can be fidgety and need to move too. Um, they, it, all these diagnoses cause things like balance and coordination issues, which uh, tend to be more prominent when I'm tired or later in the day in particular. Um, and it can contribute to things like increased injury risk. So I sprain my ankles pretty regularly. I tore my bicep in um, October of 2020, which is how I was, I figured out that I had EDS. Um, other ways it impacts me. So I'm a parent of three young kids and having fatigue issues can be really challenging, especially at night. And so being able to balance work and clients, my own body needs and their needs it's in the, and taking care of a house and all that. It's a lot. Um, yeah. How do you juggle all that? Because I know that I don't, I don't, I'm not a parent. I, I work for myself and I work for myself mainly because I can't do like nine to five. Seven. Like how do you manage all of that? Plus take care of yourself. Plus, find moments for you. Yeah, it's it's a day-to-day challenge and I haven't quite figured it out. You know, I don't I don't claim to be an expert. I just allow myself a lot of grace and flexibility as much as I can and I I also have a challenge in working the typical 8 to 5 or 9 to 5 job and so that's why I opened my own business so I can um, my clients and I can figure out what is best for all of us to be seen and get and get their needs met and my work done. So um, I'm I'm happy to have that flexibility in my life, but it's it's, it's definitely challenging. And um, yeah, and I've had lots of surgeries, you know, how it presents and impacts my life. I've had lots of surgeries and um, trying to find specialists to get diagnosed with different things and get these needs met. I mean, that's a job in and of itself, too. So um, your own medical care, as well as, you know, just sleep and eat and all that stuff. And, um, you know, my MCAS and celiac disease cause food issues. And so it's a lot of uh, lost time there with food prep and shopping and, um, you know, makes things like travel or outings or 
or, you know, when I used to work a more typical job, like work events that involve food, really challenging too. So um, there are many ways that it impacts my life, but I also feel privileged in some ways that, you know, I don't necessarily have some of the same mobility challenges as other individuals that identify as having a disability. So um, I know that uh, we're all in this together and um, some of us have a more privileged existence than others. And so I just want to acknowledge that too, that identifying as somebody with a disability has been challenging for me because I don't want to take the spotlight away from other individuals with greater needs than my own. Right. And so it's, it's that challenging thing. It's like, I, I feel I am disabled, but I'm not disabled enough in some spaces. Right. And so finding that dynamic and feeling okay with that label and using that in some spaces is, has been challenging for me. Yeah. I mean, I think I would come back to you and say, don't worry, the spotlight is big enough for all of us. Um, <laughs> and we, we need more people uh, sharing their stories about entering and kind of transitioning into disability only because if we only have if we only have the paraplegics who have an accident who go from being quote-unquote able-bodied to quote-unquote disabled within 2.5 seconds after a car crash if that's the only thing we see then that's how we compartmentalize what being disabled is versus like someone like you who has more dynamic disabilities that you can't see and invisible disabilities that you can't see. Um, and I think, you know, the more and more we, I think especially for someone like, for someone who has invisible disabilities like you do, claiming that word of disabled, and I say this to so many guests on the show, claiming that word of disabled is hard as fuck. It's not an easy word to say. It's not an easy, because of all the weight we put on it. And if we would just kind of lessen the weight of disability being this bad thing it's actually a really joyful experience not always sometimes it really fucking sucks but knowing that you're in a body that is different can sometimes be a joy absolutely and thank you for sharing that and thank you for giving me space to use that label and and making that label so dynamic and encompassing so i appreciate that perspective thank you anytime um so you wear a bunch of hats, but I want to touch on like um, if you could share like what your work is and how do you think your professions profession because there's many of them. How do you think um, they can help people with disabilities? So you know, I went into um, school thinking I would be a typical physical therapist working in the clinic, seeing people with you know, low back pain or following a knee replacement surgery and all that. And it was rewarding, but not in the way that I thought it would be. And um, I started to have conversations with some of my clients about sex and sexuality. And I wasn't able to answer those questions, which took me down a whole nother path of training to become a sexuality counselor and educator. Um, And during that time too, I, I had learned about death cafes and Um, All that to say that I think that I find the most meaning and joy and purpose in utilizing uh, more challenging perspectives and topics within my work from sexuality to death to meaning and social justice. And I use those as guide, guide points for myself as well as for my clients. You know, I could work with somebody and um, rehab them from uh, following a knee replacement surgery. And that's, that's all fine and good. And I'm sure I made a difference in their life, but what's really juicy for me is following those more meaningful elements of sexuality, death, social justice. I mean, that's what gives me goosebumps. That's what gives me purpose. And I recently heard someone call goosebumps juice bumps. And I'm like, Oh my God, I love that. Follow the follow that juice or even follow my own heartbreak. I mean, I got into a lot of the um, a lot of these topics have personal meaning to me, like sexuality and death. And those are both personally and social justice, personally meaningful as well as collective meaning. And so, um, you know, following that heartbreak of my own and turning it into purpose that I can utilize to help other people is just uh, so impactful to me. Yeah. And was was that heartbreak that you went through, was that related to you kind of entering disability or being disabled at all? Um, in some ways, yeah. So, um, you know, I always had a body that functioned differently without having the diagnosis of EDS. Like um, I remember playing on 
team sports, like the obligatory team sports that you have to do in elementary school, middle school, and high school, and just having such a challenge and um, getting, you know, being the end of jokes or whatever, because I missed the shot or I'm uncoordinated. And it, um, it was just a lot of body shame. And at one point, I even had an eating disorder because, you know, being presumed female, assigned female at birth, and you just inherit all of these collective and um, social understandings of what uh, female should be and what we should look like. And um, so just a lot of body shame around that, right. Um, in yeah. terms of weight and ability and uh, that, that was heartbreaking and I'm still unlearning that. And then, you know, in terms of sexuality, I, there were a couple of times in my life where I sought out the help of a healthcare provider, for instance, during um, about a desire discrepancy where I had low desire and the healthcare provider at the time said, well, you know, just have sex. If you have sex, you'll want to have sex. And I mean, that to me was also incredibly isolating, shaming. It reinforces rape culture. It just, it was really disturbing. And so that was a form of heartbreak too. Like here was a potential for connection and seeking wisdom and help in my own personal life. And I felt completely, um, you know, missed a missed opportunity there and unguided by, by somebody that was supposed to be helpful. So that was another instance of, you know, personal heartbreak. And then, um, when I was younger, you know, death, I used to be terrified of death. And um, I remember I couldn't fall asleep as a child, you know, five, six or seven years old, eight years old. And I would, I would hide under the covers or wake up a lot in the middle of the night, just being terrified of death. And I think it was related to the passing of my grandfather around that time and the uh, divorce of my parents. And I remember my grandfather, so I was raised Lutheran. When he passed away, I remember asking my relatives, well, you know, an, an asterisk or side note that in um, Christianity and Lutheran uh, in particular, if you believe in Jesus, it said that you'll go to heaven. And so I asked my relatives, well, did grandpa believe in Jesus? And they said no. And so here was like, it was almost like a religious trauma. Like here is this man that I loved uh, had just passed away that I thought was going to go to hell now. And, and um, so this, you know, that, that, anxiety around death and dying and what that means when when you lose somebody you love that young and then you kind of internalize this almost trauma around this person that you think is going to go to hell or or whatever and um I am no longer <laughs> I'm no longer practicing and that was enough like that was the end of my um religious buy-in into a Lutheran church anyway too so <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I Religion. I know that answers that question in terms of the, all the heartbreaks that I follow that kind of got me to where I was. Those are some of the examples. So. Yeah, I mean, for sure. For, I mean, all those, there's a lot of heartbreaks and a lot of stuff we can talk about there. Um, how do you feel like your work helps people with disabilities? Yeah, in a couple different ways. So one is normalizing, and I, I do a big asterisk with that too, um, because really, who wants to be normal? But I think a lot of people, right? Ew, to, normal. Who? No, no, it's so boring. <laughs> who wants Ew. that? But I think I think um, a lot of people want to feel normal first, or to have their experience normalized or accepted before they're more comfortable with being different. If that makes sense, I'm sure it's not true for everybody, but you know my ability to work with individuals from a diversity of experiences, including across the spectrum of uh, disability experiences that normalizes that experience. So um, for instance, I can utilize accessible yoga and exercise with some of my clients um, and that has helped them. I remember an episode um, that you had so it's kind of a tangent here with an artist who had talked about utilizing a wheelchair for art. And so one of my clients, I've also made art more accessible for her. She was um, disabled with a stroke about nine years ago, and nobody before working with me had ever thought to make art accessible to her. And so I was wow. the person to show her how to paint with her mouth um, using watercolors and charcoals. And then at some point, um, I already have the supplies and she's getting a new power chair soon. So we're going to use her old power chair to make art in. I'm going to put like drop cloths down and a ton of paint and just let her drive, <laughs> drive through it and have fun. So, you know, I normalize the conversations. I try to make things accessible and meaningful for my clients, depending on their goals, whether that's um, sexuality issues or exercise or yoga. Um, but I, I, I never 
claim to be an expert, right? So I know that I wear these hats. I know I have the training, but I'm always learning. And so I know that I'm, I never claim perfection and I try to make things individual um, for my clients and I learn from them too. And so I'm, you know, I try to always just ongoing effort to make my offerings and my work um, more accessible to a variety of individuals. And when you work with the clients, first of all, I think, I think the fact that you are helping this client do accessible art that way and just having fun. I think my favorite part about that story is that like, it's not, you're not going to be doing physio with them while they're having, they're doing art. They're just doing art. And I think that's hugely different from so many physios and and OTs that I've worked with. They'll do a fun thing, but they'll be like, also there's work involved. And it's like, Oh no, I want to just play. And the fact that you're like allowing this client to play with art and just play and not make it a, work thing big quotes is really important yeah and that's that's what gives my work meaning to me and I think to my clients too is that element of joy and meaning and purpose and um, I should kind of backpedal a little bit too so with my work I consider myself a way to kind of fill in the gap in care so people will be discharged from therapy from traditional physical therapy and then what you know, who are the community level providers that can continue um, helping them with their goals, whether that's physical therapy, occupational therapy, or whatever. And so I work at the community level. I, I see people after they've been discharged. So I'm working more fitness, wellness, and prevention, as opposed to, you know, fresh out of surgery, rehabbing, or fresh after a diagnosis and rehabbing. I usually see yeah. people afterwards. So I get to do the fun stuff because, you know, I'm not in a clinic where I, my, um, my offerings are dictated by insurance because insurance I'm sure it won't pay for art therapy, but um, yeah, it's definitely yeah. worth it. And it makes it makes somebody's day and um, life more meaningful to access deeper, deeper sense of purpose and deeper sense of joy. So. And, and I think that I think, you know, the fact that you're able to, to offer like joy as as an element of physio for so many of us, we look at physio who are complexly disabled like I am. We look at physio and we go, oh, physio, like it's work. They're going to make me do a thing that I want to do gross. So they're going to make me do a thing that hurts. Or like now as a 38 year old disabled person, I look at the physio that I gave up when I was in my twenties. Cause I thought I don't need it. I'll be fine. Now I look at that and I go, Oh, I wish I, I wish I had kept up with that. Like I wish I had kept doing that. But I remember thinking about it like, Oh, it's work. What if you had presented it to me in a way that was like, Oh, it's fun. We're going to make art. We're going to just play. Don't worry about what your body can and can't do right now just play like that would be so fun yeah and didn't you have an episode with um somebody in bdsm or a dominatrix that was talking about like flogging during physical therapy and stuff like that wasn't it a friend i'm sure i did i <laughs> forgive me whoever was on the show that talked to me about this i don't remember who you were but i'm sure that i did i'm sure yeah so there are other ways to make pt fun too apparently <laughs> fun and really really dirty too um (laughs) but I I think you know that's so so important and I think one of the things I want to ask you because you work in the wellness space and you've you've mentioned wellness a little bit here today um how do you think we can make wellness and health spaces less ableist I find them whenever I even typing out the questions to you today where I had to type out wellness I cringed I was like ew I hate the wellness space it's so I don't like typing it because it just feels so to be honest, it feels so it feels very white, very cis, yeah, very able bodied, mm-hmm. very like it feels almost Karen esque to me a little bit. Um yeah. how how do you think we can we as providers and as people that partake in the wellness space, how do you think we can like make it confront its unableism? Yeah, I think that's an amazing question. Um, so a couple of thoughts. Um, one is just naming ableism within those spheres, right, in health and wellness. Um, I remember talking to some physical therapists recently, so similar but different to your question, but physical therapists and talking about how physical therapy is based off of ableism. It's based off the biomedical model that looks at, you know, diagnoses and disabilities as needing to be fixed, right? And that is ableism that, you know, assuming that somebody would give up a disability or would need to fix something, that is inherently ableist. And um, so naming it, I think is really important. And then understanding too, that in wellness, 
it's often presented as a way to find a cure as opposed to what if, what if there is no cure? What if you don't want to change anything, but you want to just find joy in your body or you want to come home to your body? Like if you've got body dysmorphia or you are just so used to disassociating from your own experience because it's traumatic to be in a disabled body or a queer body or whatever body in oppressive systems, you know? So I think coming home and finding joy in your body, which which to me is a wellness tool, is a revolutionary act. It's a reclamation act. Um, and then what I do too, in a lot of my spaces is I offer community spaces. So I do a lot of group events because I do agree with you that uh, wellness tends to feel very capitalistic and Karen-esque and um, just the focus on the individual, right? The self, but that that doesn't fix systems, right? We need to, to really get well as a society. We need to dismantle or change these systems because um, there's some quote, I'm sure I'm going to slaughter it now, but it's essentially like we can't be healthy in sick systems, essentially. Like there's just, you can't. So um, I think wellness to be more affirming of disability has to challenge those things. We have to challenge the inherent ableism within. We have to look at what we actually mean when we're talking about wellness. Are we talking about cure? Are we talking about just being in joy in your body? And then looking at the- Or like, are we talking about like, I'm listening to you and I love what you're saying, but I'm also thinking like, are we talking about able-bodiedness? Does being well mean you shouldn't use a wheelchair? You shouldn't use a mobility device? Right. When you when certain people say wellness, I always put giant asterisks in my head because I'm like, what do you mean by well? Like, what do you personally mean by wellness? And then what do I mean by wellness? Like, they're so they're so vastly different from each other that I'm always so wary when people say, oh yeah, the wellness space. I'm like, but what do you mean? What is what does well mean to you? And I always think like, I always think, why can't you be sick and sexy and valid? And valuable, and so I, I like, and you know, there's a big meme. There's a big um, meme going around disability spaces. It's like, no, Karen, yoga does will not help me become less disabled today. And so I always think about that because, like, people, you know, you talked earlier about how you do Reiki. I have a funny sort of able story to share with you. There, there was a woman when I was about twelve. My mom and I were in Florida, and we were just walking back from the pool. And so this woman stops my mom and I and sees me in my chair and goes, can I put my hands on you? I'm a, I'm a Reiki person. And, you know, we wanted to be polite, but we said, you know, no, thank you. No, no, thanks. Like, no, but she was like, oh no, I can fix you. (laughs) And I remember being 12, being just like, uh, no, you can't. I'll be fine. Thanks. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's an incredible point that people with disability bring to the wellness sphere is what does this mean? Like, what is the purpose and intention behind this? And then having liberatory spaces that acknowledge a diversity of bodies. So not just people with disability, but fat people like fat liberation uh, movement too is incredibly important. And so on my social media page, what I often do will feature um, bodies that are underrepresented when referencing different pieces or fitness related things. So I have um, an individual in a wheelchair in one picture. I I feature people of color in other pictures. I feature larger size body people. Um, So just uh, accepting diversity and um, honestly, it's beyond accepting and affirming diversity. It's loving diversity because I feel like if you can appreciate someone's beauty and inherent worth beyond just how they're presenting and, um, you know, challenge those beauty standards, the world just gets a lot more sexy, right? Like, yeah. and not that, not that anyone needs to even, that also feels performative, not that anyone's point or purpose is to be sexy for you. But really, I mean, when the world just gets more beautiful, if we can really just appreciate, be in, and, and love the diversity of the human experience. Yeah, I agree. Now, I had a question about your practice and the work you do as a PT. Do you tell your clients that you have disabilities too? Is this like, how do you feel about sharing that with them? Do you disclose or I, um, I have it on my webpage that I have a disability, so I, I mentioned that, but um, most people don't ask. However, in group events, especially, um, you know, you asked before how it impacts my life. So I have 
fatigue and in the evening it's more prominent and I'll have word finding issues and stuff like that but I know that to serve the community most people are available for events in the evening so I do offer some evening events and when I facilitate some of these or when I'm doing these workshops I'll sometimes have word finding issues or just like my brain just freezes <laughs> it's like it stops and so I'll mention it in the moment too like okay excuse me you know this is what's going on or whatever um but I think it just depends. I have no problem disclosing. Some people are interested. Some people aren't. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think if I can offer a suggestion to you, I think it would be really a great idea if you gently kind of disclose more only because if I had, if I was like 12 to 15 year old me and my PT who came in and was like, you know, had short hair like you do and was like cool and wanting to talk about stuff like you do. My PT when I was 15 was in her 50s and really nice, but not really, like, wasn't hip with the kids at that point. So, like, but if, if my PT had walked up and been like, oh, I'm disabled too, I think that would have changed the way that I looked at PT when I was younger. And I think that would have totally shifted my outlook. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And I think, you know, um, for disclosure for the listeners, because you mentioned our previous episode too, part of it is I have a hard time talking about myself. I don't necessarily want to center myself in spaces that are more for my clients. And so it's just like, what what information are they interested or do they want? Oh, I know. I found it so funny when we were setting up the recording. I Even today, when before we hit record, I was like, so uh, <laughs> I know you want to ask me a bunch of questions, but then I was like, don't forget the show's about you you're allowed to talk about yourself yeah yeah because really I, I for the listeners I wanted to talk more to Andrew about about his experience and it was just it was pretty intense being interviewed by somebody for an hour <laughs> myself so yeah um, yeah I know well you know let's do that a little bit right now I know you want to ask me some things so uh go ahead yeah so um I got a couple ideas, mostly uh, out of sexuality. So, you know, you and I have talked off camera and I, in your past episodes, you've talked about this as well, but in case somebody is newer to your show, I was just interested about your experience regarding sexuality within the medical system. So conversations maybe that you tried to have with medical providers and um, as a disabled person and how did, how did that go? Did you feel like you were served or seen? Were you dismissed? I was curious about that and how that might have influenced your own journey in becoming a sex educator. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I've told the story before, but I think it's important. Like you said, if anybody's new and they haven't listened before, here's the story. So when I was, tw- yeah, 27, I had just moved my, to my very first apartment on my own in downtown Ottawa, Canada, where I was going to school. And I had moved into my very first place and I decided to get an OT to come and do some like just to see what would be accessible for me and all these things so she was cool she was my age maybe a little bit younger and we got along well and we were all we were professional but polite and it was it was a nice rapport going and so on our last session because in Canada and Ontario where I live they only give you they the the government will give you four sessions with an OT and then after those sessions you're supposed to learn the skill and move on so I, um, the last session, everything's fine. We finished up and she goes, Oh, is there anything else you want to learn before I leave today or something? And I said, I said, so I want to learn how to thrust my pelvis more because I, I want to do this in sexuality. I didn't, I wasn't vulgar. I didn't say like, I want to fuck. I said, I want to learn how to thrust my pelvis into somebody or I want to learn how to thrust my pelvis better. Can you give me some exercises? that I can do to do that. And she turned beet red, grabbed her stuff, giggled and left the room. And I never saw her again. So, wow. uh, I mean, I'm sure I've shared that story before, but that story always brings back like, oh, there's a whole lot of ableism in these fields that we have to talk about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sorry that you had that experience. Um, did you ever see her after that? Or no, she was, she was gone. <laughs> no, I never, I never saw her again, but I'm real. I'm, I, Personally, I'm so thankful I had that experience because it, in the work I do now with the bump and joystick and all the stuff that that I'm doing with the sex toy, it reminds me that 
in the field of PT and OT, we have so much ableism to dismantle in these fields mm-hmm. that are meant to help disabled individuals. The, the providers have so much ableism they have to work through. And mm-hmm. so I always look at that experience almost, and I chuckle now when I think about it, because I'm so glad it happened, because it's given me the opportunity to sit with providers, like on other you know versions of the show, I'll sit with my sister and we'll talk to physiotherapists or occupational therapists about the toy and they'll tell us you know it's so important these conversations are so important and so I'm really thankful that it happened even though it was like jarring in the moment looking back on it it really has um really has like spurred forward what I'm doing now right so in some ways you followed your heartbreak too or those juice bumps you know like that that the juice bumps. Yeah. Well, I think I think we I think we found the title of the episode today <laughs> is going to be juice bumps for sure. Um, no, I did. Um, um, I wanted to ask you a question about uh, one of my favorite things to talk about on the show is disability grief, and because you run death cafes, I've heard of them nominally a little bit, and I sort of know what they are, but I'd love for you to explain them to us. And also, I kind of want to see if we can connect death cafe to disability a little bit oh absolutely and don't i and hopefully we have time for more questions about you because i still i'm still happy oh, no, we have, still there <laughs> yeah, no, we definitely we definitely do we do don't worry okay don't worry. all right um so death cafes thanks for asking because i just had one today just before our conversation which is um what made me uh, a little less adaptable in terms of timing for our session today but um i don't you know, I facilitate death cafes. I didn't start them. They started, I believe it was in 2010 out of the UK, John Underwood, and he has since passed. And um, it's an international project. Uh, They're free. Some accept donations. Um, Before COVID, they would meet in person. And the idea of cafe is that if you were in person, you would be sharing food or drink and like um, adult beverage or coffee or tea or chocolate and all those enjoyable uh, foods or drinks make difficult conversations a little easier. And so that's, that's the whole idea about uh, the cafe piece. Um, what makes Seth cafes a little interesting as opposed to like a webinar about advanced directives or living well is that there's no set topic. And so it's de- determined by the people that show up and I never know the direction that these conversations are going to go. Um, the folks that show up at my group, we tend to talk about more spiritual and meaningful conversations, less of the legal stuff, but it's often t- t- around things like what do you believe in uh, what happens for the afterlife or have you had any experience with ghosts, for instance, or um, today. I, mean, I feel like you need to start a podcast called Death Cafe and just record those and put them out there <laughs> in the world. I would, I would so listen to that. Like, like it's funny you bring it up. Paranormal is like, and true crime stuff and all that stuff is like my other favorite jam thing to listen to when I'm not doing disability stuff. So like that, you should, there should be a podcast called Death Cafe. I'd love to do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I would welcome you to come to our cafe anytime too. And, or check out just the um, international website where you can find you as an Andrew, you, or you as in the listener, you, they can find, um, you know, uh, death cafes from around the world. They meet all the time. And so I welcome any of the, any of the folks to mine. Um, They can find my uh, death cafes on Eventbrite or just check the general website. But you asked specifically about, um, well, two things. One is I, I, I'm into the ghosts and the paranormal too so this is that should be another conversation for you and yeah, I at some point yeah, totally. let's share some ghost stories so uh that was one point but you asked about if death and dying is um related to my views on disability or, or some something like that and I um I believe so. I mean, I've been through multiple surgeries related to EDS. And every time I go into a surgery, for instance, I always approach it as um, like I could die. I can I could die from the anesthesia and not not wake up. Um, And so it's almost this practice and acknowledging your mortality. And I think it makes and I don't want to speak for everybody, of course. um, But I know for myself, my own diagnosis has made me more aware of my body's limits and my limited time here. And 
Um, it makes me more appreciative of the time that I have and my the abilities that I have. And um, I try to find joy and reverence and awe in small things as much as possible because that's that's what makes life delicious. It's not, you know, um, all the distractions and the work and chasing money. It's noticing the sunset on uh, a prairie last night in Illinois was uh, almost breathtaking, you know, in those small, those small moments. So I think this ability and having a disability makes you more aware of those things. And I don't know, do you feel the same for your own experience? Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, like, for me, being disabled, especially being non-ambulatory and sitting all the time and knowing, like, knowing what sitting all the time does to your organs and your body and all those things. Like, I constantly think about my death, not in like, a oh, my God, I'm going to die, but more like, have I done enough today to be, if I died tomorrow, would it be all right to have I, and because, because I feel sometimes like my experience as a disabled person, my sexuality and my experiences in that space have been delayed or stunted or different than the average person. So I worry about, I don't have a, I'm almost 40 and I don't have a partner. And what if I don't make it to like 60? And like, so there are, there are things about my disability and death that I, I think about it all the time. Again, not in like morbid, I'm going to die ways, but just like, if it happened tomorrow, would I be happy with where I am? And I, sadly, at this point right now today, I'm not, I would say no. And what, what do you think you want to change so we can turn the, and I can ask you some questions for a moment. What would you change <laughs> that would, that would make you say yes? Like, what is it that would bring you that juice and that joy that would make yeah. you say, if it happens tomorrow, you're in a good place. I mean, I'd want to, I'd want to try a relationship. I'd want to try, like, I'd want to do a lot of sexy things that I haven't tried yet. I'd want to, oh, you know, <laughs> I'd want to like fuck somebody in a dungeon somewhere. I'd want to, you know, there are things that I want to do before I die that I feel sometimes that my disability has robbed me from even considering because I know the, all the work that it would take for that to be, for that to happen. And so I think, you know, when you mentioned death cafes, I got really excited because I was like, oh, if I was going to be at a cafe, the thing I would talk about the whole time is like the grief that I have that my that my lifespan might be a little bit shorter than the average person's because of my disability. But also like all these things that I want to do that I haven't done that or that I won't be able to do ever because of my disability. And there's such a grief that I have around that that like it's so hard to put into words even now. Like it makes me not uncomfortable, but like, you know, just like, oh, there's so much I want to do and that I'm, I'm, that I'm worried that I won't get to. So like, that's part of why, you know, that's part of why you see me on TV and you see me doing all this stuff. Cause I'm like, I don't want to say no to anything because yeah. if I might not get to do it. Yeah. And then balancing the fact that sometimes that fear of missing out can also be consuming and toxic too so that's hard too. finding a balance that works for you um to keep yourself comfortable in a way and, and, and occupy that dynamic space and you talked about grief and i and disability grief and grief around death too and uh in a past cafe we had talked about that as well and we called it ambiguous loss there's like this this loss that's almost in this grief that's almost not nameable it's not like anybody died per se but it's just this this unknowing and this harder to name space um so thank you for sharing those things um I w- we got about 10 minutes left before one of my attendants comes in and says let's feed you dinner so I want to give you a chance to ask some more questions of me in the next like 10 minutes yeah and um yeah so you had mentioned the sex toy that you and your sister designed and when you and yeah. I talked back in August I believe it hadn't hit market yet but it since is it's it's for sale now so yeah. I would love to know a little bit more about that process how you got the idea the process of developing that and how sales have been going because I do plan on purchasing one I just haven't had a chance yet so um well the process of making the toy was and I've told this story before so anybody who's listening if you want to skip ahead go ahead but I'll tell the story again um so I did a movie a documentary called picture this which mm-hmm. I think is available now on Amazon Prime yeah, it is. I saw it wanna, yeah yeah so it's on there so I did a movie called picture this and in the movie I talk about how I can't masturbate or how I lost the ability to masturbate mm-hmm. and that the movie got 
sent down to Sydney, Australia, where my sister lives. And she saw it and was like, oh, I know. She had a light bulb moment where she had never realized that I couldn't sell pleasure because who talks to their sister about their masturbatory <laughs> habits? No one. So, like, she didn't know that I was going through that. And she saw the video and went, oh. And so I went to go visit her a few months later. And she was like, we were talking on the beach. And she was like, so why can't you just use sex toys on the market? And I said, well, the sex toys aren't designed for my hands. And I showed her my hands and they didn't, they don't, they they don't have dexterity. So, and they don't have fine motor skills. They have gross motor skills. So, so I said, well, they just, none of the toys work. And she goes, well, haven't they made one? And I was like, not really. And so she was like, well, we talked about it some more. And she was like, well, do you want to, do you want to make one? And at first I was like, do I want to make a toy with my sister? I don't know. That's, that's really weird. But then the more and more we got to talking about it, um, the more the more and more we realized that it wasn't just going to help me; it was going to help everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so we put a so we put a survey out on Reddit where we asked a hundred people, like, "Do you want a toy like this? Is this something that is valuable for you? Do you have trouble masturbating or self pleasuring?" And sixty three percent of people said, "Yes, I have trouble." masturbating because of hand limitations 92 percent of people said we want a toy like this it's about damn time there's a toy like this for us um and so we realized those percentiles actually translated into hundreds of thousands of people worldwide that couldn't have a wink that couldn't Mm -hmm. jerk off that couldn't Mm -hmm. self-pleasure so we were like oh this is a real thing and so we went on to we just googled sex toy educator like who do we who do we google and the first person that came up was Judith Glover out of RMIT, out of out of Australia. And she's a sex toy designer. She has her PhD, I think, in sex toy design. And she was the first one we reached out to. And she was like, I've been waiting for somebody to come to me with this problem. And I would love to work with you. And so from there, we got connected to her team and we did all the stuff. And then we came up with four, four ideas that could work for people with hand limitations each time talking to the disability community, talking to me, having me test things and give feedback. And then from there, we realized that the joystick was the most accessible option and the one that we wanted to go forward with at that time. And then, you know, from there, it's just been getting people to understand what the toy is, how to have it works, what it does. And then, you know, we've, we opened pre-orders on last December um, and now we are pushing, we're asking non-disabled folks to go to getbumpin.com and put down money so that we can we can gift joysticks to disabled folks who Ooh, may not be able that. to afford them. So we're asking people who have some extra money lying around, which I know is tough right now, but if you had 20 bucks, you could donate 20 bucks to, to, our, to get a toy into the hands in the bedrooms of disabled folks. So sales are okay we always want more sales so if anyone's listening and you want to buy a toy please do that um or you want to buy a toy for someone please do that uh but no we're really excited with it we're really excited about what we've achieved and we're really really we hope that it goes on forever well that's incredible and i think that um you do the donation option too i mean it's almost like the sex toy santa claus i mean pretty much (laughs) So there's the other title of your of the podcast. I, a sex toy Santa Claus. I love it so much. <laughs> no, I think Juice Bumps is still my favorite, but it's somewhere there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. And um, you know, I want to talk about disability joy in a moment, but I, I just I don't know how much time we still have because I want to know more right. about your trajectory of becoming a sex educator because you had these early experiences of dismissal from the healthcare uh, professionals that you worked with, and then at some point you designed a sex toy. But like, how how did you navigate becoming a sex educator, and what did that look like? I mean, I wanted to get laid. That's yeah. where it came from. <laughs> I wanted gay men to pay attention to me and I wanted like to get laid. And so I, I, and I was looking for work and nobody would hire me. And I was like, fuck, I have a story about being queer and disabled. What if I did that? Mm -hmm. And I literally went on, I went on the internet and I looked up a title and I found disability awareness consultant. And I'm sure I borrowed that slash stole it from somebody. And I was like, okay, this is what I do now. 
and I went on Vistaprint and I put my name on a card and I started handing that out saying, I want to do disability. I want to talk about it. I want to do talks about it. I want to like, cause everybody said that's not a job. It's a hobby. And I was like, Oh yeah, watch me make it a job. Watch, watch, right. I'll make it a job. And so from, I, it wasn't intentional. I didn't intend on doing that. I literally, I, I would have 10 years ago when I started this, I would have taken any job that anyone gave me, but this is a way for me to make money accessibly to do it on my own terms, to do it as I can, when I can. And also I don't have to be tied down to one thing. Disability awareness consultant can mean sexuality. It can mean physical therapy. It can mean access in the everyday world. It can mean queerness. It can mean so many different facets of what I do are different things. And I love that. I love the variety in that. And so I didn't set out to be a sex educator. I wouldn't even call myself a sex educator. People do, but I don't really call myself that. I would say I'm more of a consultant because I like to do different things in different facets. As long as disability is connected to it, I want to be a part of it. That's beautiful. And I think you're in some ways similar to me in that um, we don't necessarily have a lane other than things that bring us meaning, you know, and and some things, but I love that. The meaning and some money, you know, I mean, not that money is everything, but I got to feed myself and like, I I pay for sex workers. They're not cheap either. So like, I need, I need the good things. So like, I, I try to, the work I do you know you've said in the forum that a lot of you do is not a lot of what you do is not like molded by money me neither but I do I do understand the value of what I do I understand that my rates are what they are because you're asking me to tell my disability story and if you want that you got to pay unfortunately like that's what it is absolutely yeah and so I I you know I to answer your larger question I, I wouldn't say I'm a sex educator I would say I'm a disability awareness consultant with a keen interest in queerness and disability. And, you know, I fell into this because I wanted gay men to notice me and I wanted to get laid. Ironically, you know, by the time you listen to this, you'll have seen me on Queer as Folk. Everyone will have seen me. So uh, I hope it worked. Yeah, and I can't wait to see that. So (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Tomorrow, tomorrow, June 9th. By the time you listen to this, it'll be way past June 9th. But June 9th, it comes out. So yeah, it comes out. I'm so excited. Can't wait to see that. (laughs) And so if we have time, can we talk about, because you have this on the list of questions, and I think what you're speaking to about your own trajectory is disability joy. And you are giving the option of joy through masturbation to some of some individuals that wouldn't have had that option anyway. Um, but I'm curious and I can speak to my, my thoughts on disability joy, but I would like to hear yours um, if you don't mind. Yeah. What brings me disability joy? Um, talking about disability and talking about the hard parts about disability that aren't fun, that aren't bright, that aren't exciting, really getting into like the crevices of like the hard shit around disability that's really tough. Like you see my social media, that's what I do. That's my favorite part of the day. It's like, let's talk about something really horrible, but let's have a real discussion about it and let's connect it back to being disabled and let's talk about, see someone, I knew somebody would be here to feed me in a minute. Hang on, hang on. I'm going to, pause you for a minute come in hi Wayne I'm just finishing up recording a podcast can, can you do the same thing for dinner we did yesterday yeah that's right that'd be great so Editing Andrew, edit that all out, please. Thanks. Um, I'm going to start again. So, what can you ask me again? Sure. Yeah. So we were talking about disability joy, and and what that means, you know, uh, for you. Yeah. I mean, what brings me disability joy is talking about the hard shit, really talking about disability, really getting into the nitty gritty parts of being disabled that we don't talk about that makes me smile and and that lights a fire under me that I don't think anything else does I love kind of being 
like oh let's talk about really tough things that we're not ready like that we that most that most of us don't understand and then I get feedback from community that's like oh my god you, you thank you for talking about this like thank you for putting that out there thank you for saying this thank you for sharing this because I needed it because I feel that way too and no one talks about it and like to get that feedback and to know these these thoughts that I have in my head that I think no one else agrees with other people agree with especially within community that brings me joy but then also I love being able to and I think some disabled people listening to this part might disagree I love being able to teach disabled people I know we're I'm sorry uh, let me rephrase I love being able to teach non, non-disabled people about disability through my experience. I think that, you know, a, a lot of disabled people say stuff like, oh, I don't want to be your teachable moment. And I understand that. But for me, I love being your teachable moment. It's one of my favorite things because I get to shape in that moment with you. I get to shape your worldview and I get to change exactly how you see the world or how you see disability and how you understand it. And that's a privilege that I don't think many people get. And because I'm disabled, I get to offer that to somebody. And that's cool. I'm so thankful for that. Oh, and you, I don't know if you can see, you gave me goosebumps. So there's more goosebumps. (laughs) Goosebumps, yay! I love that answer. It's just, it's beautiful. And I think it speaks to what you meant in that question versus what most people think of when they think of joy. They think of, you know, um, some short-term happy um fleeting feeling and I think that joy listen I'm not saying that sucking a dick doesn't also bring me great joy but (laughs) there's that too but I mean I think joy is it's bigger than that and I read this book recently called joyful militancy um that was pretty incredible but they talk about this idea of joy as being the ability to affect and be affected by so this this ability to hold complex emotions and to feel feelings of other individuals and to hold people kind of in a positive light so it's not like the fleeting sense of happiness but it's this idea of taking up space and and having meaning and being affected by people and um allowing yourself to affect your community too and um you know i think for my own experience finding joy in my body is a part of disability joy when i had a history of body shame from the community from my family from partners and stuff like that and so um being in my body and enjoying what I can do is a form of joy and also just uh, normalizing with that asterisk again, because who wants to be normal, but I know a lot of people just want to have affirming spaces, right. And, and have these conversations, but um, affirming uh, that we will all face disability. And I think that that is part of disability joy too, is that we are not in this alone. It's something that's going to impact us all. It's just most of us are in denial about that. Right. So, um, you know, being able to uh, be impacted by other individuals and, and creating affirming spaces and being a part of a community and acknowledging that this is uh, something that we will all face to me as part of disability joy. Yeah. And I think, you know, knowing, especially with COVID, knowing that there will be more of us in the fold really soon who are entering disability. I'm not saying that won't be easy, but I kind of say like, hey, cool, your handbook will be in the mail. And if you want to talk about it, like (laughs) I've been doing it for 38 years, let's be disabled together. Like that, it does not to like soften how horrible COVID has been, but to know that there are more of us coming in and more of us becoming disabled will mean more conversation around stuff that we should be talking about already. That I think is really valuable. Yeah. And, you know, thanks for bringing up your book too. And I know that we're probably short on time, but um, I I did a book club on your book and I had several people purchase your book and they absolutely loved it. The the handy book. Amazing. Was it Love, Lust and uh, Disability? Is that what it's called? I can't remember. It's now, it was the handy book. Now it's the bumping book of Love, Lust and Disability, but yes. Yes. So um, people check out that book. It's incredible. I love it. But I'm circling this back into the idea of disability joy, because I think having a disability makes you or forces you forces a person to explore more avenues of what brings them pleasure and joy, whether that's sexually or whatever. And so you um, get to write your own script of um 
you know, you don't, you don't have to follow these pre-established paths that aren't going to work for your body. And so in some ways it forces you to be a creative and um, perhaps more sensual or exploratory than people that may be more able-bodied and just kind of follow the trajectory that they think that they're supposed to do or what sex is supposed to look like or what pleasure is supposed to be. Um, but that book is incredible. I think it really highlights um, disability joy through the lens of sexuality. So um, thanks for that. And book. if you wanted to listener, think, well, thank you for thank you for loving it so much and if you're listening and you haven't gotten a, a copy of the bump and bug of love lust and disability yet it's available on our website at getbumpin.com uh and you can get it you can get the audio version where you hear me and a colleague of ours read the book to you so if you are an audiophile like i am and you want to hear me, my dulcet tones in your ear in a whole other way you can get the book that way too and i think the audiobook is 15 us dollars so really really accessible really really affordable and, and I, if you want to pick it up great but enough about enough enough weird plugs for all what i do <laughs> um, um alice mitch do you have any final things you want to say to the people on the show today um no just just deep appreciation for your listeners deep appreciation to you and thanks thanks for the opportunity to talk to you to talk about what i do and how i help serve um the community and people with disability and um exposing people to perhaps new information whether that's your sex toy your your book or death cafes or some of my other offerings so i i appreciate this so much thank you uh no thank you so much for for giving me space to talk a little bit more about death and disability and stuff that I think about a lot in my head that I don't often get to talk about. So I really, that, that for me, for the conversation was my favorite part, talking about the death stuff, which is, sounds morbid, but it totally was. <laughs> um, yeah, I love it too. Um, how can the people listening get a hold of you? How can they follow you? How can they support you? Yeah, so I'm on Facebook, um, Ignite Wellbeing, PLLC. I'm on Instagram, Ignite Wellbeing Naperville. Um, they can look at my website, which is Ignite Wellbeing with a dash between well and bean.com. Um, they can also email me, ignitewellbeing.naperville at gmail.com. Um, so all of those things uh, are great ways to find me. You can also search for my events under my name um, on Eventbrite, Allison Mitch, um, from things like book clubs. Like I mentioned, I have Savor Book Club where I feature books on sexuality uh pleasure cafes death cafes uh sex uh positive parenting groups and all kinds of things so hopefully um your viewers or listeners i should say will find something of value there and i can connect with them sometime soon awesome well this was such a fun interview that went all over the place but i, <laughs> I love it i love it so much and i'm so glad you kept me on my toes today because you for sure did um yeah. It was great, and I really, really enjoyed our chat. It was so fun to chat with you, and um, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. Anytime. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye. All right, friends. That's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I was, of course, your delectable daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening and shining a bright light on disability stories with me. If you want to follow all my work and see all my links and all the cool stuff I'm doing, you can head over to my new website, aagerza.com. And all my stuff is there. My social links are there. My website is there. My podcast is there. Everything is there. And you can follow along with the show that way. If you want to leave a review for the show, please do so wherever you get your podcast. It really does help keep the bright lights shining on this show. If you want to support the show financially and get the show one day early completely ad-free as well as a shout-out on the air. Consider pledging as little as $1 a month or $5 a month or more by going to patreon.com slash disability after dark. Stay comfy, cozy, and crippled and we'll shine a bright light on disability stories next time. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Cripple & Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com.
Copyright 2022.